We're continuing in our sermon series on the word shalom. Shalom, we've learned about the last couple of weeks, is the Hebrew word for peace, but it's more than just the absence of conflict. And Zacchaeus' story illustrates that for us powerfully today. Uh, you actually won't find the word peace in today's text. You won't find the word shalom or the New Testament version of it, irene. Instead, what you'll see is someone who has deeply broken relationships experiencing restoration begins in the heart, and then it kind of passes into the community. And so today we're going to talk about how that starts to kind of play out in each of our lives. And, and actually, Ryan teed this up well for us in our kind of, you know, pre-service, like, coffee time. Uh, what were you like in high school? What were you like in middle school? Uh, this is all tied to Shalom, because, like, <laughs> if you've been around for any length of time, you know, for most people... Shalom was probably not a big part of their high school or middle school experience. It's, it's just hard to come by a sense of peace when you're an adolescent, when you're kind of developing all this kind of thing. That was certainly true for me as well. Some of the most painful experiences I had of being uh, broken from relationship or sort of cast out of a group of people, that happened to me in middle school. And then it just took years and years of kind of like learning to rebuild a sense of who I was and how I could be a part of a group of friends. Like that didn't really start to come back together for me until the end of middle school. So there's, there's all kinds of trauma around this idea of being an outcast. And that's who we see in today's text is Zacchaeus, someone who is not beloved, someone who experiences brokenness with his community. And so I just wanna pause at the beginning of our time together today and go, when did you experience that? Because we all have. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you were, you know, the captain of the cheerleading squad or, you know, the, the captain of your soccer team or anything like that. You have experienced this sense of being fractured, broken from the wider community around you. And we know uh, now more than ever that our friends of color experience that in a country like the United States where so many of our laws and presuppositions are built around kind of a white framework. But for any of us, there is a sense of brokenness with the reality around us. And so we need to look at Zacchaeus' story to understand how that restoration comes through one source, and that is Jesus Christ. So today's sermon is going to be broken up into three parts. It's going to be a timeline, basically. The timeline is going to be Zacchaeus before Jesus. That's part one. Part two is going to be when Zacchaeus meets Jesus. And part three, yep, you're guessing it, what happens after Zacchaeus meets Jesus. So before, during, and after very simple outline for us today. And so let's talk about what we know about Zacchaeus before he meets Jesus. Who is he? This is outlined in verses one, two, and three of our text. So I'm going to read the Luke passage again. So listen along with me in verse nine, or excuse me, in chapter 19, starting in verse one. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and is passing through it. So we know the scene. Zacchaeus is someone who lives in the city of Jericho. That'll be important in just a minute. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Anytime the New Testament puts two different kind of descriptors together that basically mean the same thing, chief tax collector, meaning he had a wealthy profession, and he was rich, meaning he was rich, it's kind of like taking it up a notch. It's kind of like someone saying he was really, really, really wealthy. And then in verse three, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. Okay, that's the number one thing people know about Zacchaeus, right? Like, if you grew up in Sunday school, you learned Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? That passes over 
some of the most important things we can learn about Zacchaeus's character and the state of his heart before he encounters Jesus Christ. The question I sat down with this week in my studies was, why did Zacchaeus even go looking for Jesus? Why bother? If he's really, really wealthy, if he has all of his material needs taken care of, if his family is all good, if they've got food in the pantry and a boat in the driveway, why does he need to go and try to have an encounter with Jesus Christ? And I think it's answered for us later on in verse seven. Verse seven is painful and it says this, this is after Jesus and Zacchaeus kind of have their initial dialogue. It says this, all who saw them talking began to grumble and said, he is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. His neighbors, his colleagues, his friends, everyone in this community of Jericho who's standing around watching the scene unfold identifies Zacchaeus in one way as a sinner. Now, it was very common in Zacchaeus's day for tax collectors to be known as sinners because of graft. They were well known as people who worked under the Roman government, but kind of had their own little side hustle underneath that. So let's say the Roman government came into a town like Jericho and said, hey, we need to set up a toll booth to help pay for our roads and our infrastructure and all that. Remember toll booths, by the way? We all have the little sliders now in our cars, right? We drive under the lights and then boop, boop, it registers our toll. Well, like I grew up with toll booths where you literally would pull up and you would hand your money to someone and then you drive along your way. There are still toll booths in my wife's hometown of Gig Harbor. So shout out to Gig Harbor. They still got toll booths down there. But this is applicable to the story today because Jericho is along a major thoroughfare into the city of Jerusalem. In other words, if you were coming from where Jesus was before Jericho, you kind of had to go to go to Jerusalem. You had to go through Jericho. So it made a lot of sense for the Roman government to set up a toll booth there to charge people to get where they wanted to go. What Zacchaeus did, what we believe he did, what scholars say he did, is he would say, okay, the toll's 25 cents to the Romans and 50 cents to me. He wouldn't be that overt about it, but he would basically say like, yeah, you're paying the Roman tax here, but there's a Zacchaeus tax too. And he made a lot of money off of that. And it's interesting because he became wealthy, but not powerful. He had a lot of money, but he wasn't well-respected. In the ancient Near East, if you were wealthy and respected, it's because you came from good history, good upbringing. Your family had always kind of had money. Where I grew up, we call that old money. And Zacchaeus is a little bit more like someone who's new money. Maybe he's kind of like a tech billionaire or somebody who's only recently come into their wealth. This is not inherited landed wealth. And that matters because it makes him easier to dismiss. Think back to the time that you uh, were ostracized from a group where you were sort of an outcast, where you were thrown out by a group of friends. You had that experience of being pushed out. It probably happened around the thing that made you vulnerable. Zacchaeus in this moment is vulnerable because he has no respect or reputation in the community. He's, he's got nowhere to go but down. And they push him down further. So he's got a broken relationship with his community. He's fervently seeking Jesus because of this brokenness. He can't fix that. He can't walk around to everybody, give them a 20 and say, will you be my friend? It's not going to work. So Zacchaeus is in this desperate place. And I want to not pass along before we say this. It is because of his past that he is experiencing this brokenness. And some of it's, you know, a, a sort of a, a hell of his own making. But it's because of his past that he can't fix it. We can't move on from those parts of our past that are most painful to us. That's trauma. 
That's what trips us up. That's what reminds us over and over again of the way we failed or how we let our guard down or how someone violated our trust. Zacchaeus is in that place where his past is his burden. And church, if your past is your burden, one, join the club. Two, you're never going to fix that. You can't go back in time and reverse engineer your past. You can't layer over it so many times that you've forgotten about it. The truth has this pernicious way of kind of worming its way up through the surface. And so what Zacchaeus realizes, what we can learn from Zacchaeus, is our past belongs to Jesus Christ. And he alone can kind of reconcile and redeem us to the parts of ourselves that we don't like, that we'd rather get distance from. And he's the one that will ultimately bring peace to Zacchaeus knowing full well that he's got a broken past. So that's Zacchaeus before Jesus. Let's talk about when Zacchaeus meets Jesus. This is verses four through six of the text. Zacchaeus sees Jesus coming. So he ran ahead on his short little legs and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay in your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. In the ancient Near East... The way that you restored a broken relationship was to have a meal. The way that you practiced reconciliation was to not just say like, hey, I forgive you, like handshake, elbow bump, pat on the back. It was, would you come and have a meal with me? Table fellowship has always been a foundational element of seeking shalom. It's not just saying I forgive you in passing. It's being willing to sit and enter into that relationship with someone. And that's basically what Jesus is offering to Zacchaeus. It's ironic because Zacchaeus lives there. And so he's the one that should be saying to Jesus, Jesus, come and have a meal at my house. Jesus says to him, hey, I'm passing through. I'm going to have a meal at your house. Does that sound good? And Zacchaeus is blown away by it, right? Like any of us would be. Like if I came to one of your houses and says, what's for lunch? You going to feed me or what? Like, that'd be a little presumptuous, especially with COVID. You'd be like, no, please stay in the front yard. Like, don't, don't come in here. I don't have COVID. I don't think I have COVID, but I just had to throw that out there because that's the time that we're in. There you go. They have this brief dialogue. The crowd is kind of waiting to see what is Jesus going to say to this, this parasite, this ruffian that's taken advantage of us. And once again, the consistency of Jesus's character, which I just love. It is one of the reasons I'm a Christ follower. He is so consistent. He shows up, he's talking to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus probably reminds him of the people he was talking to in chapter 18 of Luke's gospel, and the people that he's encountered in the other gospel accounts. The most outwardly despicable people are washed with the most lavish grace. I'll say that again. The most outwardly despicable people are washed with the most lavish grace. Think about the woman caught in adultery in John's gospel. She's literally ripped out of the bed violently where she's committing adultery. I picture her hair messed up in tatters, barely able to throw on a bathrobe, drug out by an angry mob, just a shameful experience for her, just awful. And Jesus meets her with the most lavish grace. Peter, one of Jesus's confidants, one of the people in his inner circle, denies Jesus three times, totally blows him off, says, I want nothing to do with this man. And he feels the pain of that. And then in John's gospel, Jesus returns. And what does he do? He has a meal with Peter on the beach. They have a breakfast of barbecued fish. And Jesus says, I love you. 
You're back to that. He washes him in the most lavish grace. Zacchaeus receives that, even though he's a cheater, even though he's a swindler, even though he's charging that Zacchaeus tax. And Jesus makes no mention of that. He makes no demands of Zacchaeus's behavior. Now, Zacchaeus, you need to get your act together or else. That will come. I believe it does come for Zacchaeus, but it's not the tip of the spear. And let me just say this as an encouragement to all of you who are trying so hard in these strange days to minister graciously and lovingly to others who are loving your neighbors who don't follow Jesus, who are trying to figure out ways to share your faith. Know this, when you lead off with grace, it carries a ton of weight, especially in a post-Christian culture like the one that we live in in the Pacific Northwest. Look at how Jesus practices this. He leads off with grace. Lead off with grace, church. Whatever form that can take for you, there's a time and a place to have truth-telling and to get into the nitty-gritty. I'm not denying that. The gospel would never deny that. But know that your most effective move with the people that you long to invite into Jesus's family, that I long to invite into his family, is going to be by leading off with grace. And that's how Zacchaeus is brought in. And then we got to talk about when Zacchaeus's life is kind of after this encounter with Jesus. So look at verses 8 through 10 with me, because we pick up on some hints of what's going to happen. The people have called him a sinner. They've embarrassed him in front of Jesus. Actually, I'm going to read the message translation of this because it's so good. This is verses 8 through 10. <clears throat> Zacchaeus has just been slammed in front of Jesus, whom he's trying to, you know, kind of win some favor with here, right? And somebody from the back says, you're a sinner. Get away from him. Verse 8, Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned, as any of us would be. And he stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor. And if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. What's happening there? In the law of Moses, Zacchaeus is a Jew, so he knows a little bit about the law of Moses. In the law of Moses, if you wrong somebody, you paid them back twice what you took away from them. You, you paid them back sort of for what you aired on, and then, you know, kind of interest that you'd accrued. Well, Zacchaeus goes twice over that. He says, I'm going to pay four times the damages. And then Jesus' response is wonderful. He says, today salvation is in, today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the son came to find and restore the lost. Zacchaeus goes from being called out as this sinner, which he is, to being wrapped up in this wonderful new identity as a son of Abraham, someone who belongs in the family of God. Now, before I can kind of share my theory about, is Zacchaeus really going to do this? Is he really going to pay people back? Is he really going to make everything right, bring shalom to his community? We got to talk about someone that was in the chapter right before this, which is the rich young ruler. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture, because it's just, it's so challenging to my own heart. The rich young ruler, as his name would suggest, is someone who is wealthy, who is not that far along in life, and who is influential in his community. And he comes to Jesus and says, hey, hey, help me out here, buddy. Uh, what do I have to do to get into heaven? Like, just can, can you sketch it out for me? Can I have a couple of bullet points? And Jesus, I think, kind of inwardly like chuckles like, oh, all right, you're that guy. All right, we're going to have a conversation. And what the rich young ruler refuses to do is what Zacchaeus lives into and allows him to experience shalom. Remember, the end of the rich young ruler's story is this. Jesus says, you know, you need to love your neighbor as yourself, this, this. And the rich young ruler very arrogantly says, I have done these things. 
And then Jesus says to him, the ultimate challenge, sell your possessions. Take that one thing that you will not let go of, that thing you were white knuckling and hold it out to God. Sell your possessions, give it away to the poor. Show us, show me that it doesn't matter that much to you. And the rich young ruler won't do it. And one of the saddest passages of all of scripture, the text says, and he walked away sad for he had many things. The same is not said of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus says, look, I, I got money. I will give back the money that I've stolen from people. I've got more resources than I need. How can I make sure that this gets out in such a way that it brings restoration? I'm giving him a little credit for being a good guy here. So just stay with me on this. He says he's going to do it. And Jesus doesn't ask Zacchaeus for his tax statements, for his debt to equity ratio. He doesn't say, okay, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to Jerusalem in three days. Send me a letter and let me know how you're doing with all this. No, Jesus asks for no proof, no letter of testimony. He just says who Zacchaeus is now. And I believe that because Jesus lavishes his grace upon Zacchaeus, his life is forever different. So does he actually follow through? We don't know. The funny thing about being a community that cares about shalom, which I believe we are, is shalom is not a closed loop. It's not a closed loop. We'd like to think that it is. We'd like to think that we have had the opportunity to see God bring someone into his kingdom or experience restoration in a broken relationship or see progress made in our work around racial healing and injustice. We might get to see stuff from time to time, and we do, but that's not why we're in it. And that's not what we hope for. If you're hoping for a closed loop, everything's tied up with a neat little bow on it, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. But it doesn't mean we can't hope for this lavish grace like we see expressed in Zacchaeus to continue to fall out all over our world. What trips up the rich young ruler, his stuff, Zacchaeus will not let trip him up. So what has tripped you up in the past, church? Has it been seeking approval? Man, after middle school, when I had this terrible experience of my friends basically abandoning me, I was so desperate for attention and approval, and it tripped me up then and continues to trip me up now. What is that place of weakness, that wounding in you that is so tied to your past and so hard to give up to the Lord and ask for his healing? Maybe today's the day that you, you call up a Christian friend, you talk to your spouse, and you say, you know what? I need Jesus to heal me, and I'm just going to commit this to prayer for as long as it takes. That's been one of my kind of line items in my prayer journal lately is just for some healing around my own heart. And yeah, it's slow going. And yes, God is being gracious and good to me. So let me encourage you to do that. Jesus's ministry to Zacchaeus happens when he's on the road, not when he sort of stopped twiddling his thumbs, wondering what he should do next. So let me encourage you, church, when you are on the road, when you are going somewhere, when you're taking your kids to the park, know this. This is in Matthew 28. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. That go is as you go, on the journey, on your way to other things. Multitaskers love this. Do not be discouraged if you don't feel like there's a lot of ministry happening in your life right now. Look around. Be attentive to who God has put in front of you and know that as you go, as Jesus was just passing through Jericho, he meets Zacchaeus and his life is forever changed.
This is Zacchaeus's one and only opportunity to meet Jesus. Think about that. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to go to the cross. He ain't coming back through Jericho. So who might be kind of walking along in front of you that you have a unique opportunity to minister to, to show grace to, to invite for a meal on your front porch, to be gracious to in such a dark time as the one we live in? And my final encouragement is this. When you think about your past and the places that have caused the most pain and struggle for you, think about this. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul wrote these incredible words. Christ came and he preached grace. He preached shalom to those who are far off and to those who are near. And you'll talk about this in your breakout rooms. Those who are far off and those who are near. In the story of Zacchaeus, we have an example of someone who is both far off, far away from God, not interested in the things of God, and someone who is so near to Jesus Christ, he can smell him and he can touch him. So who is in your life that could be far off to Jesus Christ or could be very near to him and you're going to be there for that person and kind of bridge that gap? And what are the places in your own heart that you would say are far, far away from God? God, do not go into that corner of my heart. Do not touch that memory. It is too painful. I don't even think you can fix it. That is that far off place. Well, if Christ came to preach grace to that, would you just shorten the distance and hold it out to him? Similarly, where are the places in your life where Christ is preaching grace to you and it's right next to you, right with you? It's a spouse. It's one of your children. It's something going on in your business. It's right there. So as we take a moment now to go into our breakout rooms, you'll have a chance to share real briefly kind of a warm-up, a God sighting. Where have you seen God at work in your life this week? And then this question about being near and far. You'll have the Ephesians passage there to consider. Where is Zacchaeus in that now that we've heard his story? And where are you? Are you near or are you far? And how would you ask Jesus Christ to come and wash you in his lavish grace as he did for Zacchaeus and as he did for so many?